All right, let's do some Mark. Get us back up here. Do you have a Bible handy? Or do you have a website? Oh, yeah, I've got Bible.com up there. There you go. Okay, well, we're up to... Um, 21. We're up to 21. Yeah, we just finished up. He just called the first disciples. <clears throat> and so we're up and rolling to... I haven't even heard... So at the website, do we have the episodes yet? Yes. Yeah, and it's live now on iTunes and Google Play. That's fantastic. This is so uh, I've, I've, now subs- I've now subscribed to our podcast. That's cool. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to get the second one pushed up there today. Very cool. All right. Um, okay, so you want to read uh, 21 through 28? Sure. Uh, let me. My little screen here. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so where did we. So we, last we left off, <laughs> Jesus had been calling his yeah, apostles. Yeah. He called right. Peter and Andrew and James and John. Yep. And so now we're, we're moving on into the story. Mm-hmm. so we'll read 21 through 28 um, yep. Mark, Mark 1 21 through 28 so they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. All right. <clears throat> so do you think that uh do you think that that Jesus was literate or illiterate? What do you mean? What do you think that he 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 read and uh you know that he could read and write or couldn't? Yeah, I'm, I've always assumed he was uh, very literate. That's what I think too. Well, I, I'm assuming he had read the Torah from like you know, yeah, age one. On. Yeah, I guess I've I've just heard some people suppose that he you know because of the um that if he he was of if he wasn't well off then he was probably illiterate. But it seems to me that and this is one of the handful of verses that really indicate this: the fact that he. He's going into the synagogue, you know, right. um, it's in, and they use the word teach, you know, specifically, it's not preach or proclaim or something like that. Well, he quotes the old Testament all yeah. the time. I mean, he, he makes reference to it nonstop. Wow. Now, you know, presumably he could have picked all that stuff up through oral teaching. Absolutely. Right. Um, but no, my assumption's always been that he was an extremely well-read 
Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And this, this, this to me, this, this whole verse, aside from this little section, Pete, um, aside from the, you know, the, how the people respond to him, the thing that always strikes me about this is how he actually, um, you know, was, was like in, he was working inside the Jewish structure at that point, you know, the synagogue temple structure. He was, he was not, you know, he didn't start out the way that, according to this, he didn't start out the way John did in terms of being, you know, out on the, out on the, the wilderness and, and that sort of thing. He goes right into the synagogue. Right. <clears throat> That's interesting to me. I think it's interesting there. Um, I think what they what they say is really interesting, right? So, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, I was trying to think about well, what does that mean? You know, when if somebody comes into your church and starts preaching. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're saying that makes you feel like, wow, this person's not just like spewing back some kind of stuff mm-hmm. that he's read. He's actually teaching something completely different. Like he's teaching it from a perspective, like he's the one who actually yeah. um, wrote it. Yeah. Hey, um, I, I kind of wondered about that. Be, I'm kind of curious what he was actually saying. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's what we see later. You know, like, I wonder if that's like what we see. I wonder if this is why Matthew gives us like that whole huge section in Matthew five, six, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Like, mm-hmm. so you can actually see kind of what, what he was saying to people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that it wasn't just, um, um, it wasn't all rooted in, in precedent from the Hebrew Bible. You know, it wasn't like, he wasn't constantly citing back to that, you know, he was, this is the way it is, you know, regardless of whether it's not that it's in conflict with the Hebrew Bible, but that he doesn't need that. I mean, that's kind of what I assumed is that he didn't over talk things. You know, he would just, you know, well, this is how the kingdom is and I don't necessarily have to cite precedent. Right. Well, I think too, like if you if you think about if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's I mean, how much of that stuff relates back to the Jewish law? You know, it's completely different stuff, right? It's like he's saying things like the meek, yeah, um, you know, will rule the world and things like that. I mean, it's a completely different take on everything. You know, I think that um, I think that what it depends on what the the Jewish law like what norms the Jewish law came in in um, in absence of right so like I, I you know that's way out of anything that I feel real comfortable even even kind of like remembering but it seems to me that the notions, you know, I always think it's interesting. Like if you take these old codes uh, and 
the idea that they were establishing the whole notion of like sort of like human rights and property rights and how, you know, setting up any sort of like rules of play about how we're going to behave together as opposed to just whoever's strongest gets to do whatever they want or whoever's richest gets to do whatever they want. Right. And that that was the default that they were being written into. Um, you know, I used to think it, it's so easy to, to read into the, the more ancient stuff and see, you know, all kinds of problems with sexism or racism or, or what have you. But it's different when you think that like we're moving from a state where they were like literally property, um, you know, different types of people were literally property. And so to give them any sort of, you know, agency was revolutionary, you know? Sure. And um, so I don't know, I, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus would say, not at all did the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was absolutely in keeping with God's intention through the, through the Torah, you know, and um, it's just more of an unfolding, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right about that. I don't know, you know. No, I think I think you're probably right about that. I I just think that my guess is at at the church, you know, when these people were going to the synagogue, my guess is that was not what they were hearing. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah, when you when you yeah. look at his interaction with the Pharisees over time, I don't get the impression that's the kind of thing they were probably teaching people. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that's right. And so somehow or another, this comes back to the authority, and um, you know that he sounded different, and the people were. You know, I'm always amazed at some of that stuff, like that, that even to this like there's parts of the world where like you know we live in such a i mean you and i both certainly i do even well i don't know no you and i both have always lived in places where jesus has never been controversial basically you know right. yeah, I agree. Like, at least at a pop level i mean it's been fine to to say i'm a christian or um you know and i've never felt any sort of I don't know anyone who around me who feels any sort of like restrictions in terms of saying anything that Jesus says. And it's so weird to hear about like, you know, in countries that are not that far away from us that there are pieces because it threatens power structures and particularly financial structures that, you know, people have to stay away from or do stay away from. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's, that's a good point. That's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to think of it that way, that what he's going into the synagogue and saying is revolutionary. Yeah. Right. That they've never heard anybody like this. And um, here he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is yeah. this guy? Right. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. What's he doing? And that it's threatening. I mean, have you come to destroy us? You know? Right one of them says so yeah as soon as they left the synagogue they entered the house of simon and andrew with james and john now simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up then the fever left her and she began to serve them that evening at sunset they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons and the whole city get was gathered around the door and he cured many of 
many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. <clears throat> One of the things we talked about last week was that that sort of like, again, how Jesus was different, you know, and we talked about that like sort of physical presence, that, that, that notion that the whole city kind of knew to get their possessed and sick people there, you know, like how did they know that? Like how, um, you know, was it just word of mouth or was there like some kind of like, you know, did the town feel different when Jesus was in it? You know, did the air feel different? You got to figure in a small town like that, uh, the way things function back then, you've got to assume sport would spread pretty fast that, Hey, this guy just, just healed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause you know, you assume everybody knows everybody. It's a small community. It's, mm -hmm. you know, um, at least in the cluster of houses around where it starts. And then it probably just spreads out from there. Yeah, it spreads out. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, yeah. So one of the things that comes up often when people, like if you read about Mark, one of the things that comes up often is this idea of him always telling the demons and stuff or other people he deals with, like to not speak about what's happened. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's some curiosity as to why, why this is such a consistent thing in Mark. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read enough to really understand what, uh, I don't know. Why people would think that was the case. Yeah. yeah. I don't really understand it yet either. I mean, there's different theories I've read about it, but I haven't found something that really clicks with me where it's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh -huh, that, that feels right. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty consistent thing in Mark. Yeah. That we'll yeah, find as we read through it. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder about just like the the piece that I wonder about that is is like um, why. Well, it gets back to the whole piece of like why Jesus would not sort of like do some miracle to keep himself from being crucified too. You know, like right. I mean, what's it matter to Jesus whether a zillion people know at once or it dribbles out over time or something like that? You know. I, mean, I guess my first thing is, is that, well, he's not wanting people to tell, so it doesn't get him in trouble with the authorities, but maybe it doesn't have anything to do with that, you know, because the truth is, is, you know, it didn't want, you know, he could have, he could do anything he wants. I mean, he could have done, you know, he could have kept the authorities off his tail eventually, and that wasn't a factor. So maybe that's not why he, I, you know, I, I just agree with you. I don't know why, you know, why he chose to. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll have to look at the uh, my interpreters and see what they say. I haven't read this section in that yet. <laughs> see, if they, see if they refer back to that. There is something, and this almost gets into an area where, where people would want to say blasphemy, but there is something about that, that Jesus, it's not like, Jesus chooses to be strategic, you know? He doesn't... Oh, you know, here's this person that can turn water into wine, who can, who can turn a few fish into feeding them 5,000 or 4,000, you know, and yet for whatever reason, there's still this deal where like, 
he, he chooses to be strategic. You know, he, there's not, either there's not total control or there's not some desire to have total control, you know, something about that, you know, it's well, just, he, I mean, he says, right. Is it, is it later on in Mark? Is it, is it Mark where he essentially says later on, like, okay, it's time to move on. Cause my job isn't to stand here and like heal everybody. My job is. To, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to come up on that pretty quickly. Is to go yeah, out I think. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That's the next section. You want let's I'll read that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So you know, it's obvious that he's, you're right. I mean, he's got a plan that yeah. he's going to put into place, right? He's going to travel around these small towns. He's going to go from one place to the next. He's going to say what he wants to say. He's going to do miracles for these people. And then he's going to move on to the next town. And he's yeah. not there to be like, I think part of the reason why I, I thought about this and, and the, I thought, you know, it would be easy to stay in one town and become pretty much like a god, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody comes to you, everybody's praising you, everybody sure. thinks you're so awesome and wonderful. And, you know, that would be a great temptation, I think, oh, yeah. for a lot of us. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, it's funny the way Simon comes to him. He's so excited, right? Like, everyone's looking for you. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Come on. Like, why are you by yourself? Like, you should be yeah, right. with all these people who want to, like, you know. And Jesus' response to that is like, no, it's time to get out of here, guys. Like, we got yeah. real work to do. Like, this is just the beginning of what we're doing. So yeah. I think it's interesting um, and that sort of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. It, it does feel strategic. And I don't, I don't see anything wrong with saying that. I mean, Jesus has a job. Like his job yeah. is to like spread this word. Yeah. To get out there and impact as many people as he possibly can before he's crucified, which, you know, he knows, he knows how this is going to end from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's got a role to play and his job is to get out there and do it. And so, I don't know. It would be, I, I always find that funny how Simon comes running in so excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, think, I think, I think they make a point of him being in a solitary place for a reason, right? Sure. He, he got away from the crowd. He was trying to get away from people, you know, and obviously his apostles were not. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. You know. Right. I wonder what the apostles were doing when he's like off praying. Yeah. Um, when this crowd of people's around. Like, what are they saying to them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know. Yeah. And why? Yeah. I, you know, it's just not. I think. So, like, I have this like premise, this mistaken premise of like, 
like I want Jesus to be like bewitched, you know, like where it's like, okay, I can just, you know, twinkle or, you know, uh, squiggle my nose and like change the paint color in the room. And, and so that's the thing I think about is, is if, does it say, what did it say in that verse? Did it say anything about why he was there? Uh, while silver to God went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. <clears throat> no, it doesn't really say he was resting specifically, but in any event, you know, he felt some, de- okay. So, okay, fine. Why, why does Jesus, if Jesus can do anything, why does Jesus feel this need to kind of like go seclude himself to pray? You know, it's just like, well, he could just make everybody, st- you know, like he could do a bewitch deal and like, you know, he could just make everybody stand still frame, right. in the moment, you know? And I'm just saying all that to say is that like to grapple with the reality of who this guy was that we have um, from these scriptures, as opposed to kind of like superimposing science, science fiction or something like that, you know, kind of cartoon characters, but to just accept him as the, the gospel writers presented him, I find it like, I find that really hard, you know, to, to not like try to turn him into the Terminator or, or <laughs> the witch or something like that. You know, um, right. there's something about, you know, like why did he keep quiet? Cause there's some, maybe it has something to do with that whole thing about like uh, his parable about the yeast, you know, and that that's just the way nature is, you know, that, that it, it starts with something very small and you let it grow. You don't control that growth. You let it seep through and, and germinate. And, uh, but you know, one of the, yeah. One, so one of the thoughts out there is, is this idea that he, he tells them this about keeping it quiet because the point is he wants them to focus more on what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Than on the fact that he's healing people. That he can heal, whatever, right. That, that that's something yeah. he can do, but yeah. that's, not, that's not the thing that's going to be important down yeah. the road, right? Like, it's a necessary thing so people can see that he has the authority from God to do this. Yeah. But it's not the thing he wants them to focus on. And I... Yeah. You know, if that's the case, if that's what's going on, it, it kind of goes back to your earlier idea about him being strategic and thinking about, well, how's this best going to work? And I think that the fact that he goes off to a private place to pray plays in also to this whole idea that we'll get into with all the Gospels. This idea that Jesus is a man. Yeah. Yeah, he's not God. Yeah. He, he's a man who needs the things a man needs. And, and as a man, you know, or as a human, right, there are times right, right. in your life when you, you need that time to get away, to think about things, to, um, to reflect on what's happening and are you making the right choices and is this going the way you think it should? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that, um, that I feel like you and I are trying to do with this whole discussion is figure out, well, how does this affect us in our lives, right? Like how Mm -hmm. can we relate this stuff back to our own personal day-to-day lives? Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that Jesus finds that it's necessary for him to like go find a quiet place. Oh yeah. 
and pray <laughs> to God yeah. and think about this stuff. Like if Jesus needs that, what do you think we need? That's certainly I do. Yeah. You can't just like hop out of bed and start going a zillion miles an hour. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and yeah. And you know, he's obviously being reflective about something, right? Yeah. Like whether it's how he's handling this or what he saw the day before, maybe with a particular interaction yeah. or, maybe his concern about the apostles or whatever. I mean, he's obviously got things on his mind, right? Yeah. And he and he needs to talk about those things with God. And I think I think one of the things we can pick up from him is that like, well, if he's doing that, we should probably do that too. And I think yeah. um I don't exactly. know. I I think that's really important. So Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're gonna get through one. I didn't think we. Yeah, actually... no, we're fine now. All right, let's let's do this, and then I need to wrap up. A leper came to him, begging him, and and kneeling, he said to him, "If you choose, you can make me clean." Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, "I do choose. Be made clean." Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest." And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. Well, that might give us a clue as to why he wants people to Uh-oh. keep quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I always think that this is like a big, you know, that it is ultimately about obedience, right? It's, it's less of a, it's, it, yes, it is important to be thankful. Yes, it is to be, it's important to whatever, to be humble and to be thankful and to, you know, trust and that sort of thing. But ultimately this is about obedience that, that if Jesus tells us something, that's like the most important thing, right? Um, yeah. Cause it has, you know, Look at the effect it has. Yeah, even this like good nature. I mean, it feels like a good natured obedience, or I'm right. sorry, a good good natured disobedience has dire consequences. Right. Right. You know, it becomes very meaningful. So um, here's something that I think is really interesting. So I've been reading this little picture bible lately. Mm-hmm. With, um, our youngest, mm-hmm. and one of the things I think is really interesting about the way they structured this little picture Bible because, you know, it's just little stories on top of stories. Yeah. Is they do a lot of focus on this idea that the people Jesus is healing are the people who believe. Okay. And so I think it's, I think it's very telling what the guy says to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, yeah, you can make me clean. Right. Or if you want to, you can make me clean, which implies obviously this guy truly believes like you can heal. Yeah. Me, right? right. I know you right. can. I believe with all my heart that you can do this. Yeah. It's not a, not a capability. It's just a, whether or not this fits with your agenda. Right. And I think this is going to be something we see repeated a lot in the gospels, this idea that like the people that he is most impressed with, the people that he turns to are the people who really do believe mm-hmm. that, Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think this ties us back at the end of chapter one, we're sort of tied back to the beginning of Jesus in chapter one, when the thing he says, which we talked about is repent and believe. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's true. So you'll see if you, if you read that thing okay. I wrote yeah. on, uh, on the website, we talk Bible. huh? Yeah. We talk Bible. Well, and if you see the thing I wrote on the website, one of the things I talked about there was this idea that like repent is so the the Greek word that that's translated from, mm-hmm. if you take that Greek word more literally, it kind of means to change your understanding. Okay. Right. To change the way you look at things. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, to believe in Jesus like the way this man does, you have to change the way you look at yeah. everything. Right? Yeah. That what this guy is saying is he's right. And mm-hmm. what I've always thought about the world is wrong or the way mm-hmm. society teaches me is wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's funny to see a dog walking around mm-hmm. in your house, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, yeah. And that gets it out of the realm of like, um, you know, um, like a test of wills, like, okay, I'm supposed to quit smoking. Am I strong enough to with, you know, withstand the urge to smoke, you know, it gets it out of that conversation. You know, it's about a, yeah, you're right. It's about, that's actually a really good, I like that analogy. Emptying yourself, you know, it's emptying yourself out and being inhabited by this other being. Right. Right. And yeah. Well, and I think, too, this goes back to what we were just talking about, like trying to think of how this connects to our own lives. It's like we have to be willing to sort of think of things differently, right? We have to, obviously, we have to really believe in Jesus, and we have to believe in this stuff. There's Um, two people in town. There's there's two people I know in town and um, who are – and they are, they, they really struggle. Like they really go, um, okay. They, they, t- they're, they're, they're alcoholics and well, they would say they are former alcoholics and they understand they work in and out of the hospitals and jails and they get, you know, the language of recovering alcoholic and why that's important. And they do not rage against any sort of like 12 step program or anything like that. Cause they both say, and they both like kind of do this independently. They've, I've, I know them both, but they do not work in each other's circles very much. And one of the things they talk about, they both talk about almost independently and almost use the same languages is that they know that it's incorrect for them to say that they are recovering alcoholics, that they feel is that it was taken from them, that alcoholism, that it was just, it was, it was a part of their life and now it's gone. And they don't say that they don't believe in and that that's the only way to be healed of that. They believe in the 12 step programs. They believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. God, God and nature works with us each in different ways. But for them, it's, it was more of a repentance. I'm going to, you know, just be different and, or, you know, and, um, anyway, it's really interesting to hear that. And I trust their hearts. I mean, I know I I've, I've, heard them talk about it in enough depth that it's not just like some kind of pop thing, you know, like it's not a bumper sticker deal. I mean, they really have thought about the difference in their experience versus 
versus those of recovering alcoholics. And, um, you know, it's just really interesting. That's interesting. The idea, I like this, I like that idea in terms of thinking about repentance that you have to, you have to, even if you go through a 12 step program, right. Even if that's your path, like part of what the 12 step program is trying to make you do is look at everything differently, right. To acknowledge the mistakes you've made in the past, to not put blame on everybody else for your alcoholism, to, to accept that this was your choices and this was your decisions. And that's what led you to this place you're at. And yeah, Hey, that's, that's very interesting. Huh. That's very interesting. Gotta go. Merry Christmas. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I'll talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Bye.